Sometimes it's hard to reconcile that the American Civil War took place during what we would call the Victorian period in England. State militias were forming up at the time Oliver Twist was asking for more gruel. There were many commonalities, especially in a subject that was of grave importance to people on both sides of the Atlantic. Death. The intersection between death and strict social customs is never more evident than in mourning. Someone grieving the loss of a loved one in either country had rules to follow and a social structure to guide them. Just before the war, life expectancy in the United States was just about 40 years of age. Now that's an average and it's certainly skewed due to many more people dying as children than as 20 or 30 year old adults. Just like in the Middle Ages, anyone who grew to be an adolescent could more or less expect to live a long life. However, thoughts of death were never that far off. The State Archives of Alabama have a copybook, a book in which students practice their penmanship by copying phrases over and over that belong to Isaac Barr. Among the phrases he copied over and over, like procrastination is the thief of time, were phrases like remember life is not long and death takes the young as well as the old. When death did occur, especially in the American South, it was mostly dealt with as a family. Someone who died at home may be laid out in the home while neighbors came to visit and give condolences. If possible, the door would be draped in black fabric to indicate that a death had taken place. The tradition of covering mirrors and stopping clocks is common to just about every culture that had mirrors and clocks at the time. The body would be watched over throughout the night. It was a good idea, and I'm not going to address the various ways that people ensured their loved ones were in fact dead and not being buried prematurely here. There are plenty of podcasts that can do that. At the time of the burial, the loved one left the house feet first and was carried to the grave. The burial would be held in the afternoon as it was considered unlucky or disrespectful to allow an open grave to sit overnight. After the burial, a period of mourning was observed. Men might wear a black armband or a badge on their coat indicating they were grieving a loss. Women had a few more rules than that. Women started in deep mourning in which they would be expected to wear all black, including black gloves and a black veil over her face. She wouldn't wear jewelry, but after some time, those who had the financial means could wear jewelry with black stones or black glass. She was expected to stay close to the home and really only spend time with family or extremely close friends. When Jeb Stewart died in 1864, his widow continued the practice of deep mourning until her own life ended in 1923. Most women would transition to what we call full mourning after a time. For about a year, the widow could wear some white, some wealthier mourners began with dark gray collars or cuffs and transitioned to white. The veil was shortened and some jewelry was permitted. After that, she could wear more colors. You hear a lot about widows mostly adding purple and red to their wardrobe at this time. For some widows, this entire process could take up to three years. For a child, the mourning period was closer to one year, and of course it was adapted to different parts of the South and different levels of society. 
Of course, a widow from a wealthy family would conform to this process more than a widow who had a family to feed. When war broke out, and about one out of every four men who left to fight didn't come home, entire communities could be paralyzed if they were expected to follow every stage of mourning. Jefferson Davis's wife, Verena, set an example for mourning when their five-year-old son died in an accident. Rather than following the expected role, she just wore a black cotton dress. I think she was trying to set an example for the women of the South that it was acceptable to not follow every step of mourning if you couldn't afford it. Funerals during the war often became community political events. Officers would be laid out and the town would pass by, then a huge procession would accompany the body to the grave. Most soldiers wouldn't get that level of treatment. Often, foot soldiers would be buried in a new graveyard near the battlefield. Kingston, in Bartow County, has a cemetery with 250 unidentified Confederate soldiers. There's 300 buried in Cassville. The National Cemetery in Marietta has interred nearly 10,000 Union troops. A little over 2,500 of those are unidentified. The Confederate Cemetery in Marietta is the largest in Georgia, with 3,000 burials, originally with wooden markers, which were eventually replaced with marble tombstones. The most famous story regarding Civil War burials, of course, involves the land that would become Arlington Cemetery. The home and adjacent lands were confiscated from the family of Robert E. Lee at the start of the war and Union soldiers were supposedly buried there to discourage the family from demanding the land be returned after the war. Some, whose burial spot could be identified, would be disinterred to be taken home and buried in town or family burying places, sometimes years later. I do have one more thing to say about Southern burials, but I just wanted to take a moment to invite you to come along on a haunted Habersham History, Mystery, Murder, and Mayhem Tour in downtown Clarksville. From September 18th until Halloween, meet us at the theater and we'll take a walk around downtown Clarksville. You'll hear the history of Habersham County, the history of Clarksville, and some good ghost stories. There's no need to reserve in advance. We will meet you at the theater 7 p.m. on Friday, 7 p.m. on Saturday, 5 p.m. on Sunday. It's only $10 a person, and I hope to see you there. Possibly the most enduring image of burial during the Civil War is a painting called The Burial of Latane. It was painted in 1864 by William Washington, a Southern artist. Captain William Latane, which I may not be pronouncing correctly, was killed during the Peninsular Campaign. The body was recovered by his brother and brought back home. The popular story, which was later commemorated in a poem, says that the minister couldn't be brought to the graveside because Union forces were occupying the area and restricting movement. So the women of the family took on the responsibility, conducted a service, and gave Latane a good burial. The painting shows one southern lady reading from the Bible as the women and attendant slaves mourn his passing, and of course, the passing of their entire way of life. For what it's worth, in reality, a minister did manage to attend the burial and conduct the funeral as usual. <laughs> 